deputy sheriff uh, for 17 years, was a captain, had worked undercover narcotics for nine years, had a pretty good reputation within the area for being a good cop. And in South Carolina, you work at the will of the sheriff. And on that morning, I got called in and the sheriff said, I'm firing you today. And I said, what have I done wrong? And he said, you haven't done anything wrong. I'm just not going to worry about you ever running for sheriff. And I said, well, I've never thought about that. And he said, well, you haven't, but other people have. And so I'm not going to worry about you anymore and I'm going to fire you. So I went from being on top of the world, a captain, um, great career, um, just, you know, great salary to having nothing and no job. Uh, and, and having to go home and tell your kids, you know, I, I don't have a job, I've been fired, and the first thing the child's going to ask is, what did you do wrong? And- Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former Army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What's up, what's up, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness. Now, today's conversation is going to be geared around decisions that we make and how we treat each other and how we treat ourselves for that matter. And with everything that's going on today right now with the COVID-19 and everything else that's going on in our economy and in our communities, this is absolutely an important conversation for us to have and for you to have this conversation with your family members, with your kids, so that we can all keep each other safe while also considering the fears that many people have in the world today around their jobs, around their health, and around their own personal well-being. Now, this conversation was recorded several weeks before this whole COVID-19 thing kicked off. However, it's very relevant to this time and any other time in our history and certainly for the future of our nation and the world for that matter. So if ever you were going to share Men of Abundance with others, now is the time to do it. Be abundant in your action and pay it forward by sharing Men of Abundance and sharing this conversation with everyone. Put it out on Facebook, put it out on Twitter, put it on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, wherever you spend time at social media wise, or even in your communities, share this with people that you come in contact with. Ask them, have you ever heard of a podcast? If not, then show them what a podcast player looks like on their phone. Download it for them. Help them do that. Then immediately show them how to subscribe, how to search and subscribe for Men of Abundance and listen to this specific conversation. I greatly appreciate it, and I know the people that you share this with will also thank you. So our featured guest today is Richland County Sheriff Leon Lott. Sheriff Lott leads one of the largest sheriff's departments in the southeastern United States, often referred to as America's Law Enforcement Agency. The near 1,000-employee Richland County Sheriff's Department is one of the regularly featured law enforcement agencies on A&E's television series Live PD and is the only police department that has been with the program since it first aired in October of 2016. Sheriff Lott is a 43-year career law enforcement officer 
who has served as the sheriff of Richland County for more than 20 years. Recognized as one of the most creatively innovative bridge-building law enforcement leaders in the nation, even internationally. In 2010, Sheriff Lott traveled to Iraq at the request and invitation of the Iraqi government to help the war-torn country establish the first-ever female police academy. The Richland County Sheriff Department continues its strong relationship and an officer exchange program with Iraq, as it does with other foreign law enforcement agencies, as well as the U.S. military forces domestically. Under Sheriff Lott's leadership, Richland County Sheriff's Department was the first law enforcement agency in the nation to establish a pre-PTSD conditioning program for deputies and other officers. This training is mandatory for all Richland County Sheriff Department deputies. Sheriff Lott also commands the South Carolina State Guard at the rank of Brigadier General. Now, I also want to point out that in January of 2018, the Richmond County Sheriff's Department became the first sheriff's office in the country to conduct research on the impact of adding the words peace officer to its fleet of 600 plus marked patrol vehicles. The success of this first ever peace officer identity initiative is now measurable. And this is a testament to words matter. The impact of changing just one word, police, to peace, made an amazing and measurable impact on the community for those who saw the decals on the patrol cars. I encourage you to go to the show notes of this episode and see that data and see what the impact was in the community and then consider the words that you use when you're talking to yourself, to your children, to your spouse, and even to your clients and customers for those of you who are business owners. Now, without further ado, it is my honor to introduce you to Sheriff Leon Lott. Sheriff Lott, welcome to Men of Abundance. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me on with you. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I have a pretty good idea, but I always ask right up front, where are you at in the world? Where am I at in the world? In Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> I was telling some of your staff there as we were doing a sound check earlier, I've been down around those parts a little bit. When I was stationed at Fort Bragg and uh, down in Fayetteville, and uh, I know your weather down there is kind of crazy. Ours, I'm in Florida right now, and it's, yesterday it was 80 degrees. Today it's 55, so not nearly as bad as you all. No, it's um, we've had rain all week long. It's, it's like been a monsoon, and today is cold. And then we got a day or two of sunshine and cold weather, and then the rain comes back. So it's been miserable here. <laughs> I'd yeah. trade Florida any time for right now. Absolutely. I remember living out in the woods and that and that stuff, and in Germany as well. Germany is about the worst weather I, I've been in. Uh, I grew up in Phoenix, so I'm used to hot weather, and then lived 10 years in Hawaii and now in Florida. So you see where my mind is at. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, man, I greatly appreciate what you do. What do you, uh, One of the things I like to do, I like to start out with an attitude of gratitude. What do you have to be grateful for today? Well, I'm grateful that my 16-year-old daughter worked hard this year uh, playing basketball, and she was named to the all-region team. So I'm just grateful for um, her being rewarded for the hard work that she's put in. What a joy that is. That is such a joy. I'm so excited for you. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about you in your bio, and that's all a lot of the professional stuff that we are definitely going to get into. But here on Men of Abundance, we really like to get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, how would you describe yourself? Driven. Um, always pushing, always pushing myself and then pushing people around me to strive for excellence and 
just to do the best they can. I hold myself to high standards, and those that I surround myself with, too, I hold them to very high standards. So I think driven, I'm just driven to always be the best. Well, I can see that. And, you know, as I do with many guests that I'm getting ready to get on the show, I do a lot of research on them because most of the folks I don't obviously know personally, and some of them I may have been following. But, you know, uh, one of the things that intrigued me when when I was first approached to have you on the show that really caught my eye was the your experience with Live PD. And <laughs> to be honest, I never saw the show. My son uh, and his his wife, my daughter-in-law, and her mom, they watch it, like, constantly. Whenever they're over the house, that's all that's on. And I find it very intriguing. But the two things that I, I enjoyed about watching that that program, that show, was, one, we get to see, you know, what I, I'm, you know, I'm retired military, and I've worked a lot with law enforcement and whatnot. People get to see what really goes on and the stuff that you all have to put up with and the things that you get to put up with and the things that you get to experience throughout your day. And then the other thing is it really makes me very grateful for the choices that I've made in my life <laughs> as opposed to the people that, that uh, you, you, your folks get to, get to interact with. So I say that because, you know, a lot of people may know who you are as a as a person and you know on the news and everything else i've done a lot of research and watched a lot of videos but what was your experience and why did you decide to um put your uh department on live pd and and kind of how did that work out well i think two of the things you just described was um within my thought process on going on live pd is i wanted people to see that one that we're human uh, that you know, it's just not a uniform. There's actually a person that wears that uniform, and what they have to deal with every single day, uh, something that's not scripted, something that's not edited, it's actually live. You get to see the boring stuff as well as the exciting stuff and the stupid stuff we have to deal with. I think all too often, you know, people just read in the media when you know something tragic has happened or there's been something exciting chase but they don't get to see the other stuff and i think that opened up a lot of people's eyes about really seeing what cops deal with every single day and and just the transparency of what we do a highlight that you know we have very professional deputies that work here and they do a great job and it just highlights the professionalism yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's like you said, in the media, you're always going to get the worst of the worst and never get to see the good stuff. I was a um, at first responder for a little while throughout my career. And, it, again, you really get to see the lowest of the lows and, and experience some of the highs as well uh, that most people just don't get a, a chance to see. So that's why I think it's really a great uh, program for people to, to watch and see what's really going on. Now, one of the things I want to get into, there's some other stuff I want to get into about your background and things that you've done. But here on Men of Abundance, we really like to kind of bring up this kick in the gut moment. And the reason why we do this is because everybody at any part of their life, we all have kick in the gut moments. It's what you do with that information that changes, sometimes changes the trajectory of your life, but ultimately you end up being able to pay that forward and we're going to talk about that as well but if you could share with us a kick in the gut moment that you've experienced in your life and really make us feel that uh december the 3rd uh, 1992 i've been a 
deputy sheriff uh, for 17 years, was a captain, had worked undercover narcotics for nine years, had a pretty good reputation within the area for being a good cop. And in South Carolina, you work at the will of the sheriff. And on that morning, I got called in and the sheriff said, I'm firing you today. And I said, what have I done wrong? And he said, you haven't done anything wrong. I'm just not going to worry about you ever running for sheriff. And I said, well, I've never thought about that. And he said, well, you haven't, but other people have. And so I'm not going to worry about you anymore and I'm going to fire you. So I went from being on top of the world, a captain, um, great career, um, just, you know, great salary to having nothing, no job. Uh, and, and having to go home and tell your kids, you know, I, I don't have a job, I've been fired, and the first thing the child's going to ask is, what did you do wrong? And mm -hmm. it's hard to explain to them, well, I didn't do anything wrong, but I don't have a job. And and to deal with that for a period of about seven months of having to live off of unemployment and supporting a family and, and trying to resurrect your career, you know, that, that was probably the biggest kick in the gut that I've ever had to, to recover from. Wow, that's a new one. So what was the fear? What was the problem that, that he had with you possibly being the sheriff? Um, I, I developed a re reputation. This was during the Miami Vice days, and the, the media had designated me as Columbia's Miami Vice and a lot of publicity, so I was well-known. And um, just uh, the fear that he created himself and, and I tell people now, he created a monster that came back and ate him up because I'd never thought about running for sheriff. That had never been in my career goal was to, to be a sheriff. It was to you know, be a cop uh, on the street, work narcotics, and do what I was doing. I was living the dream. And so he created a monster that actually came back four years later and defeated him. Good for you, man. And I was watching an interview. You, like myself, I was back in the 80s and, and was sporting the mullet. Um, you basically uh, described that as that was part of your who you were, and people kind of connected with that as well. Yeah, I had the best mullet in South Carolina. Um, yeah, <laughs> we laugh about it now, but you know, that's the way it was back then. And um, you know, it was exciting times, did a lot of dangerous stuff, did a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things, and you know, it was very fortunate to have a good career and to have it snatched from you um, at a blink of an eye without any warning or without any reason for you doing anything except for you've just done your job for 17 years and somebody perceived you as a threat. So, you know, you have to recover from that. And I have a little saying in my office that somebody gave to me right after a I was fired. It says God may close the door on you, but he always leaves a window open. I just had to find that opportunity to look for that window. And seven months later, I did find that window and became a police chief in a very small town about an hour from, um, from Richland County and you know, started the career back over again. Oh, good for you, man. And that's definitely the, um, the put some fire into that drive that you talked about earlier. It, it did. Um, I'd never thought about being a sheriff or being a chief, and and being fired pushed me toward that. So that was, the, I guess, the initiative that I needed to, to push myself to a higher level than what I'd already obtained. And and so, you know, you take a bad situation and, and, and you either allow it to destroy you or you use it to grow from it. And I took the opportunity to grow from it and, 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 and move forward and, you know, 24 years later, I'm still sitting here as the sheriff. 
That is awesome. And, you know, you're definitely paying it forward in a big way. And one way that I know of, anyway, is that you were invited by the Iraqi government to go to Iraq and not just help train some of their uh, police academy, but actually the first women uh, police, female police academy. What was that experience like? Because I've spent time in Iraq, and I know the culture of that. I have spent time with with local people in Iraq, both in Iraq and and here in the United States. And wow, that's a that's a heck of an honor to be invited to. But then, what were the challenges that you dealt with, and how did all that work out? Well, the challenges was what you just said. It was the culture. The mm-hmm. culture uh, in Iraq is totally different than what we have in America on how women are viewed and uh, what women are allowed to do. But you know, the Iraqi police had reached out to us because we do you know, have a lot of women that work here at the Sheriff's Department. You know, we're equal opportunity for everybody. We don't look at them as female deputies. We look at them as deputies, period, mm-hmm. regardless of what sex they are. And so I guess we've developed that re- reputation. So they reached out, and myself and a uh, female captain went there. And we met with them, and we talked with them, and we demonstrated stuff to them. And by the time we left... Um, they had developed uh, that culture, I think it had been lessened. Um, the trainers, when we got there, would not touch a female to correct them or give them any type of training. When we left, they were. They were giving them instructions just like they would be in America. And they, you know, some of them actually traveled here later on to watch us firsthand. So we've developed a very close relationship with them. I've, developed some brothers and sisters over there that I'd give my life for and just like they'd give their life for me. So it was it was a great experience. Um, the culture was what we had to address and we were able to do that. Yeah, this is another one of those topics that most people don't get a chance to really hear much about because it's just not out there. Uh, I've had the opportunity to travel the world and I've been in the Middle East and I've been in, you know, like in Bosnia where when we had workers that were working on our base if they were female then we had to have females on the gate to search everybody that was coming in because they were all you know full body search Uh, and there's just challenges that you have to deal with uh, and with different cultures and different nations that a lot of americans just don't they just don't get they don't understand the freedoms that we have here Uh, albeit there is still a lot of issues with our diversity and and race issues and ethnicity and um, gender and so on and so forth. But by and large, I think we're doing pretty good compared to many parts of the uh, world. We are, and I I think we take that for granted. And when you do travel to other countries and see what they don't have compared to what we do have, then I think it's a great appreciation. So a lot of Americans never travel outside the United States, so they don't know how Mm -hmm. fortunate we are to what we have here and the freedoms and rights that we have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I lived in Hawaii for about 10 years, and there's folks that are on that island, whatever island they're on. They might have traveled from Island Island, but they've never even been to the mainland. And even here in Florida, I was just talking to a young lady the other day. She's 26. She's She's been to one other state, but that's about it. And she's so, you know, she's educated, but she's so naive to the reality of even other states. It's it's kind of sad to see. I think travel is by far the best education you can give yourself and your children. So we do it as much as we can. Yeah, and the Internet's helped. I think sure. the world has gotten smaller. Um, we're able to now communicate with people you know, worldwide and, and look at things that, 
30 years ago, we didn't have that opportunity. So I do see the world getting smaller. And, and what happens in Iraq or happens in Germany and other countries do impact what we do here in America, too. So that's why I think it's important that we do reach out to other countries and, you know, and see how they do things. We don't always have it right. We're, we're not perfect. And mm-hmm. uh, we've picked up things from other countries on what they do, and we've brought them to America just like they've um, looked at what we do and copied us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, 100% correct. Now, how else are you paying it forward uh, within your community and within your um, department or in your state? The opportunity that I have to, to help people, to watch young deputies come in and start their career and help them grow in their career. Anybody who's successful has had somebody that's pulled them up that ladder of success. Uh, nobody's been able to do it by themselves. So when you when you reach that level, then it's your turn to reach back and pull somebody else up. And I try to take advantage of that as much as I can, particularly with with young people uh, starting a career in law enforcement or just young people in the community and making sure that they you know make good decisions so in a leadership role don't be jealous of someone taking your place your job should be to train someone to take your place Hmm. and to me that's how you, you pay it forward you develop future leaders right and one of the things that's very touchy to me personally as a veteran um is had something to do with you as well as you had a young deputy who had taken his own life and i i watched some of the videos on that and i don't know that it was ever figured out why exactly that is and many of us are in situations like that i've had peers who have just no signs whatsoever and just took their life but i would guess that you're doing something in as a result of that to help prevent that is it has there been any initiatives towards that for you specifically he was the third deputy that we've had to commit suicide since I've been sheriff. And, and I thought we had good proactive programs. Uh, when Derek Fish committed suicide, we realized we, we were doing a lot, but we were not doing enough because it didn't prevent him. So we've actually uh, looked at what other programs we can. We make sure that we talk about it. It's not a hidden little secret that nobody wants to discuss. We talk about it publicly. Um, with the community, but we also talk about it within our department that it's okay to ask for help. So trying to take that stigma away from someone having those thoughts or having mental difficulties in their life, it's okay to ask for help. So just being more aware of that. So it's, it's changes. It impacted all of us a great deal. And, you know, we want to learn from that, just like I've learned from my mistakes and uh, personally, then as the leader of a department, you have to learn from mistakes that your agency makes and say, okay, well, let's use that as a learning opportunity and let's move forward. Um, and thank you for that. Now, you know, I was listening to uh, Lieutenant Dan Brown, Lieutenant Dan, as <laughs> often called, um, great, great individual amongst many others that I've had an opportunity to watch uh, down there in your department. And one of the things that was really interesting that he said was that he likes to watch the reruns of the show uh, Live PD just because it's like game it's like game clips. You know, like when I was in high school playing football, we used to watch other teams play so we could study them and then watch ourselves play and learn from that each and every time. Are you guys able to come back like in the military, we come back and we do an after action review after every single mission, whether it's training, real world or whatever, and 
we see what we can do better, what we can do best. But then one thing that we failed at throughout my career was sitting down and having that man-to-man, soldier-to-soldier, whether it's male or female, conversation about how are you doing, you know, mentally. I got it. But what we just went through, no human being should have to go through. And you all go through it pretty much daily as opposed to, you know, so do many soldiers and are deployed for many, you know, months at a time, many years at a time. But how do you come back and debrief some of that and try to help each other out? We do. We have formal debriefings when anybody's involved in a critical incident. We have formal debriefings with them. We have peer support. We get them whatever help that they need to make sure that they uh, um, get mentally strong and able. And one thing that I discovered is everybody's great with programs after something happens, but there was no programs to get people prepared for critical incidents on the motions that you were going to feel or procedures. So we do that. We created a pre-PTSD or pre-PTSI program where every deputy goes through that yearly. And we use deputies that are currently here, most of them in supervisor positions now, who are you know, suffering from PTSI. Uh, we call it an injury, not a disease. We call it an injury. It's a real live injury. And so they go in and they teach these classes. They develop the classes. And so when you have somebody that's ranking to get something, say, say, you know, I did this. I tried to self-medicate. Uh, or, you know, I had problems dealing with this. And they hear it from their peers. And this is how I uh, manage it. Because you never get over it, but you learn how to manage it. So we do that. So we do a lot of uh, the pre-stuff, the proactive stuff, along with the reactive. That is Absolutely wonderful, and thanks for clarifying the PTSI because I was going to ask what that is because I've I've termed um, I haven't I didn't come up with the term, but I've used um, post traumatic growth uh, because I don't like the idea of having a it's a disorder that you own, and when you own it, you can't get rid of it. And right. so I wanted people to my peers and people I've talked to that want to they want to grow out of that or grow with that experience. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's a real life injury. Uh, it, oh, for sure. You might not see a wound and may not be a scar that's present on your body, but it's an injury, and it needs to be treated as an injury, and we need to address it as that. Absolutely, 100%. So we are at the point, Sheriff Lott, where we are going to pay it forward. Are you ready to do that? Yeah. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. Always take the opportunity to help somebody else out. Um, never think that you cannot influence somebody's life in a, in a very positive way. And don't be scared to make a decision. I think those three things, if we practice those every single day, then you're going to impact somebody's life in a positive way, including your own. Listen, guys, when you go back and listen to go, when you get a chance to go back and listen to this, go back and listen to this and write those action steps down. That is extremely powerful right there. Thank you for that, Sheriff. What, are, what rituals, what habits and rituals make the biggest impact in your life? Not afraid of making a mistake. Um, not afraid to make a, a decision. I think when you don't make a decision, to me, that's a mistake. Yeah. You may make a decision, it may be the wrong decision, but at least you've made something, then you can recover from that. But you know, having guts enough to say, okay, this is what we're going to do, this is what we should do, that's, that's what a leader does, is have the guts enough and 
to make a decision and move forward. And then push your people to do the same way. Uh, people are afraid to make a mistake, so they just won't do anything. To me, that, that's the biggest mistake you can make is you know, complacency and just the status quo and just hope things do, nothing messes up. Well, you gotta, you got to fail sometimes to succeed. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that you kind of alluded to there I want to highlight is that, you know, if you sit, if you got a problem and you see an issue and you're just talking about it, I'm, I'm a, I just cannot stand awareness type campaigns because they're, you're just making people aware of things that they're already aware of. I want, I want to see action and I want to see what, what you're able to, what you can do about it. Uh, so that's huge um, in what you just stated. Now, you talked a lot about leadership and leaders are readers by and large, in my experience. What are you reading and listening to that you'd recommend to our abundant leaders and why? just read a book on Kyle Carpenter, uh, Medal of Honor recipient. actually read it last week. Um, um, young man, I think he was 21 years old, was in the Marines uh, in Iraq and jumped on a um, hand grenade and saved his fellow soldiers. Um, just his story on his life and life after um, being injured, severely injured, and how he's moved forward. I think that's just a great testament on someone who's struggling and will continue to struggle in life, but who was willing to give his life not only for his country, but for his fellow uh, Marines. And he demonstrated that. And, and, and I know him personally. He, he, he's from this area, and I've had the opportunity to get to know him, but to be able to read his book and follow his journey and, and see he can continue. And uh, I don't know if you're Listeners watched the Super Bowl, but when the Super prior to the Super Bowl, he was he was on there when they uh, talked about the flag, and that was that was Kyle Carpenter, uh, that was there. Oh, very cool. So, yeah. So that a good book just recently came out. I got it for Christmas and and just finished reading it, and I would recommend that book to anybody. Excellent, guys. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. So, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Uh, a fear of failure. People people are just scared that they're going to fail. And again, you can't succeed sometimes unless you do fail. Um, and um, failure is an event. It's not a person unless you allow it to be. So, you know, you can't let a one event define you. Um, when I was fired, you know, that could be said I was a failure. But that was an event. That was just an event that happened that day, and I didn't let it define me. I moved forward, and I think that's what holds a lot of people back is that they're scared to uh, that they're going to be a failure, so they're scared to to do anything. Mm -hmm. And you can't have that fear. You got you got you're going to fall, you're going to stumble. Life's like a roller coaster, up and down. It's not so much what you do when you're on top of the roller coaster as what you're doing down at the bottom. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Absolutely. So what does being a man of abundance mean to you, Sheriff Lott? Helping others. Um, taking the opportunity every single day to, to reach down and pull somebody else up that ladder of success and, and continue to pull them up uh, and, and never stop doing that, just doing that every time you get the opportunity. And you have an opportunity to do that every single day. So don't miss out on that and don't ignore it. Just do it. A man of abundance is someone that helps others. Absolutely. I have, you know, people, for me, success is an individual thing. So for me, it was, it's successful 
I'm successful because if I need new tires for my truck, then I can go out and buy a set of brand new tires as opposed to back in the day, my dad used to just go down the street and get some retreads, just one, you know, and nothing would work right. And then he'd need to get another one. So that's my level of success. And that's me individually, but being able to have enough resources, time, treasures, and talents to pay it forward and give it to other people. Um, that's abundance. That's significance. So very well said. I appreciate that. Sheriff Lott, we're going to close this up, but before we do, what would you like to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation today? And then how else can we find out more about you and get more of your work and what you're doing? Well, I would just encourage everybody to understand that life is a struggle. It's not going to be perfect. We don't live in a perfect world and, you know, continue to, to move forward. Always look at what you have and not what you don't have i see too many people complain about i don't have this but look at look at what you do have look at the positive side and then you be positive and that's going to roll off on other people around you and then you, you push them and you know set standards of excellence for yourself don't be just i'm going to do just enough to get by and i think we do too much of that with our kids is give them participation trophies instead of most valuable pl player trophies you know, so push yourself to excellence all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That is near and dear in my household. They all know my, my little guy. He's like, Dad, can I get this? What are you going to do for it? You got to right. work for it. You're not getting anything for free. All right. And, and I think we're doing a big disservice to our young people in this generation and that we do. that They, you know, you expect to be rewarded for just showing up. I don't want you to show up. I want you to show up and, and, and work hard and do your best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it, I tell my boys all the time, you know, I, I'm they say, well, that's just mean or that's just wrong or it's not fair. Look, I care more. I, I don't, I care more about your well being than I do your feelings. Sometimes you're going to get your feelings hurt, not just me, but others, because I want to, yeah. I put them into situations uh, where they're going to get, they might get their feelings hurt they got to learn to deal with that. Yeah, we want our kids to have the best, but we don't teach them the real world because there's going to be failure in the real world. And they get, sometimes they got to be told no. And mm -hmm. we don't ever want to tell, tell our kids no, but when they get out in the workforce in the real world, they're going to find out you're going to be told no, and then they don't know how to adapt to that. And that, that falls back on us as, as parents and adults to yeah, we got to say no sometimes to our kids and, and teach them what the real world is actually about. That's a very good point, and I've, it's challenging sometimes because I grew up in a trailer behind another man's house we, until my mom divorced my dad and then remarried, and then we moved up to the trailer park. <laughs> my brother went and lived with my dad. I went and lived with my mom and stepdad, and my boys are never going to experience that, and I'm proud of that, but at the same time, I am who I am because of those experiences. So it's kind of a, you know, it, it's, it, we, like you said, we want our kids to have the best. I don't ever want my kids to live like that. But at the same time, it made me who I am today. So we have to take other avenues of approach in that regard. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I agree. Just a great example. First day of school, my daughter runs over a curb and flattens her tire and calls up and says, look, you know, got a flat tire. And I say, okay, I'll meet you after school. And she says, well, Daddy, who are you going to call to change a flat tire? And I said, you. So she learned how to change a flat tire. And we videoed it and put it out on Facebook for all of her friends to see. I mean, and in her mind and all of her fellow students' mind was, who are you going to call to come change the flat tire? 
change the flat tire yourself. Learn how to do that. In the real world, you need to know how to change a flat tire. So it may have been a small thing, but it was getting the point across that you got to do some things for yourself sometimes. It's not always calling. And, you know, yeah, we could afford to call somebody to come and change the tire and stand there and watch them. But you also, my dad would have... That my dad taught me how to change a flat tire, so my daughter now knows how to change a flat tire. Probably the only one in her school that does, but <laughs> she knows how to do it now. To me, that was a you know a life lesson: is that hey, I you ran over the curb, you got to fix it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad to see. I heard just recently that um, there's an initiative to bring some of the trades back to the back to high school. Uh, because Lord knows we need that. Not everybody's cut out for college, and a lot of people shouldn't be going to college because some people are doers, some people are thinkers. Uh, but well, nonetheless, everybody needs to know those trades, some of those basic trades. Yeah. Well, again, those are life skills that you're going to have to need to learn yourself. And if we don't teach our children, who's going to teach them? For sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it's up to us as parents and adults to teach them. I agree. Sheriff Lott, what a pleasure. It was an honor to have this conversation with you. I look forward to sharing you with all of the abundant leaders all over the world. And uh, just go out live your life of abundance and keep paying it forward because you are absolutely making a huge difference, and I greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you. appreciate uh, spending some time with you. All right, guys. Your action step for today is very simple. Be abundant in your thoughts and actions today. Be abundant in your thoughts and actions today and be kind to one another. You never know what is going on in somebody else's world. So many people are walking around with so much stuff going on in their mind, especially today. There's so much fear going on right now. And that fear is very real to that person. They're concerned about their jobs. They're concerned about their income. They're concerned about their bills, feeding their family, and everything else that's going on. They're concerned about their health. So be abundant in your thoughts and actions. Don't take on the scarcity mindset that too many people are taking these days. Now, go out, live your life of abundance, and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.